0: Hello, 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 good day, and welcome to another episode of After School History. I am, as always, your genial host, Anthony J. Ashtino. And I, I had planned on um, doing one of my finishing touches with World War II tonight, as, as those of you who have been following me know that we've been doing World War II for the last several uh, weeks. Uh, but then something happened the other day that... Um, It it forced me to take a small break from the Second World War. Don't worry, it'll still be there when we get back to it next week. But a kind of big deal happened in uh, the United States of America. And that kind of big deal, for anyone who's been following the news, was the passing of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, a Supreme Court justice, um, who had been on the bench... Uh, since the 90s, she was 87, um, she died after fighting cancer five times, a good record against cancer, okay, she beat it every time, except for the last time, and unfortunately that does seem to be the thing with cancer, doesn't it, um, you know, you, you just get, you can beat it a bunch of times, it just keeps coming back, and coming back, and coming back, Um, But anyway, uh, she beat cancer multiple times, eventually died. She was 87. And her death is, it comes at an extremely, extremely important time in American politics. And the reason for that is that we've got an election coming up in two months here in the United States. And it's a presidential election year, which means the turnout's going to be very high, of course, the current president, Donald J. Trump, running for re-election against <clears throat> sorry, Joe Biden. Um, however, it's more than just that. Uh, for those of you who don't know how it goes uh, in the United States, the way that our, our system goes with the Supreme Court, um, the president nominates and the Senate confirms. Now, right now, the Senate is in the hands of the Republican Party. So... If all the Republicans voted, you know, President Trump will nominate someone. And, uh, you know, it's also a fun fact, Um, he doesn't even have to have really a law degree to become a Supreme Court Justice. Now, all of them do, but usually Supreme Court Justices are chosen by the political party that's in charge in order to further their interests. So, for example, right now, the Republicans are looking for. A very conservative Supreme Court justice, and preferably also one who is uh, a bunch younger, because that gives you the chance. If you, if you appoint someone, since it's, it's kind of funny, ideally you would want to appoint someone who was older that had a tremendous amount of experience, because the Supreme Court of the United States—I mean, that's that's the final, the final boss, as it were, of of the, of the legal system here. When the Supreme Court, if the Supreme Court chooses to hear a case, and they make a ruling, that's it. You don't get to appeal. You can appeal all the way up to the Supreme Court if they decide to hear your case. And they don't have to decide to hear every case. Okay? They don't. Um, Then you're, you're, you know, you become a big deal. I mean, Supreme Court cases are basically cases, the Supreme Court only really looks to take on cases that, will be able to set a precedent or have a significant impact on American, uh, the American legal system. So, whereas, you know, normally, you, know, you get charged with something, loitering or, you know, vandalism. I mean, that's, that's whatever, you know, local courts handle that. The Supreme Court takes up issues when people actually challenge the validity, for example, of the way that laws are interpreted. For, you know, great examples... Uh, Brown versus Board of Education of Topeka, Kansas, where the Supreme Court ruled that the separate but equal clause uh, separate but equals was not valid. It was not being applied, and that school integration was something that would have to happen. Uh, that 's significant, okay? Another very famous one, uh, a little more recently, Roe versus Wade where the Supreme Court ruled before Roe v. Wade, this is an abortion ruling, abortion was left up to the states. So, for example, a state like New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, they could say, all right, abortion's legal. But a state like Arkansas, a state like Mississippi, Texas, could say abortion is not legal in our states. It's a crime. Roe v. Wade, the decision by the Supreme Court, basically guaranteed that abortion was a right that women had wherever they were. So it overrode the state laws. So now you couldn't be a state and be like, well, I'm going to make abortion illegal. No, you're, you're not, okay? And to this day, that's one of the major Supreme Court cases that conservatives are very, very uh, staunchly trying to get revisited. They want to see Roe v. Wade overturned. And again, it would not make abortion illegal. It would simply go back to returning it to the states. So then states would be able to pass laws uh, that uh, would, you know, make it legal or illegal, depending on their political, um, you know, leanings. So probably conservative states would say we're going to make it illegal, and liberal states it would still be legal. A lot of very interesting cases that could come up from that. But anyway, m- my point is basically that the Supreme Court makes decisions; they don't just decide, you know, a, a traffic stop. Okay. Um, unless the traffic stop involved the violation of civil rights, then they rule on it. Now, the Supreme Court is usually, because it's nine justices right now, that number can change and has changed in the past. Could change in the future if the Democrats have their way. But the Supreme Court is made up of nine members, and usually what happens, it's usually somewhere on the lines of a five to four, meaning usually you are, you have five conservatives and four liberals, or five liberals and four conservatives, it very it rarely goes six to three, and I, I don't know, this is off the top of my head. I don't ever think it's been something on a seven to two. But even more importantly, it's not just about conservative and liberal in the sense that we think about it. The Supreme Court is usually based off of the way judges, you know, we say, oh, this person's conservative, this person's a liberal. But it's based off of their interpretation of the law, of, of, of everything that's come before, and of the Constitution. And there are two kinds of individuals when it comes to the Constitution. There are strict constructionalists, and there are loose constructionalists. Now, what that really means is the following. That there are some people that look at the Constitution, some scholars, and say, well, the Constitution doesn't say that we can do A or B or C, therefore we can't do A or B or C. Because it's not in the Constitution. Loose constructionalists tend to look at the Constitution and say, well, does it say we can't do that? Because if it doesn't say you cannot do it, then uh, we're we're game. We can do it. Okay? And so these people usually, you know, they, they argue based upon all of this the the precedence that has been laid down. Uh, from justices of four cases before, and their own interpretation of the constitution and you know things change over time I mean you know you 've got so much going on right now, I mean <laughs> uh, things that that happened in the past, you know before the internet and whatnot I mean that was completely different than it is today, and there are some cases, and you know i 've talked about this um, in, a, in a paper I wrote where I argued that. Um, the, the law had to be completely upgraded because we're in the digital age now. And I felt that there's so much going on. There's so much stuff, groundbreaking stuff. Um, you know, privacy acts in the digital world, um, all sorts of things. And I said that, you know, I really feel that we have to revisit a lot of these because, um, you know, it's different than it was back then. In any case, so we've got a situation now where uh, Ginsburg has passed away, and she was a member of the liberal branch. So right now, you've got a 5-3 to three conservative. Now, <clears throat> here's where it gets interesting. So, uh, in, in um, the final year of President Obama's presidency, um, he wanted to appoint a Supreme Court justice because um, one had passed away. And he said, "I'm going to nominate Merrick Garland, who is a moderate. Well, probably a little more on the liberal side, but but a moderate nonetheless." And Mitch McConnell, who is the Republican Senate Majority Leader, said, "We're not going to. I'm not going to allow a vote to be held." Now, this is technically dereliction of duty because the Senate has an obligation to hold a vote. Okay. His argument was, look, in an election year, we should allow... It, it could be that, you know, the next president gets into power and they will have the ability to put forward someone. And everyone was upset about it, but, well, what you know, there was really nothing that could be done. So uh, President Obama's nominee did not get a vote. And then when Donald Trump won and became president, of course... The seat was still open. He immediately nominated someone, and it was confirmed because you had a Republican majority in the Senate. Now, this was not a swing of the court because uh, the gentleman who died, Justice Scalia, was uh, fairly conservative. And so President Trump decided he was going to appoint another conservative, Neil Gorsuch. However, later on, okay, Uh, you got to a point where right now you are in an election year. This is fast forwarding. You're in an election year and there's an open seat. So Democrats have been saying, listen, McConnell, don't be a hypocrite. You said if it was an election year. And McConnell's response has pretty much been, oh, I forgot to mention, that only applies to Democrats. We're totally going to, seat someone. Now, this is very interesting from a bunch of points. First of all, uh, I don't think that Senate Majority Leader McConnell really cares about being seen as a hypocrite or not. The goal is to appoint a justice, because if you can appoint someone who's in their 40s, you've got someone on the court for another 30 years that's going to put, you know, going to approve a lot of your cases. And it would bring a 6-3. to three. It would be a complete flip. Ginsburg being a liberal, and now whoever Trump is going to uh you know um put up there nominate will be conservative, so the court will go to a six to three conservative leaning, and it doesn't always mean by the way that every conservative always votes in block. It doesn't mean that they have to vote this way or they will uh, they can totally depending on the case, they can be like you know no i don't I don't agree with this, okay. You know, and it's very, again, like I said, it's a very, you know, just saying conservative liberal doesn't give enough um, an understanding of the nuances of the way that they actually view the Constitution, the law, their own personal feelings. I mean, ideally, their personal feelings have nothing to do with their legal decisions. Okay. But this is going to be very interesting because the Republicans... Need all of their people basically to vote they can lose up to three they can lose three Republicans who say I'm not going to vote to confirm someone I think it should wait until after the election and then whoever wins the election I mean obviously if President Trump wins re-election he'll get to seat someone and if uh, Joe Biden wins the election then it will pass on to him And so that's where we come into this real, it's a conundrum. Um, President Trump has announced he's, well, he said he's going to announce within the next week um, a, a nominee for the Supreme Court. And they're going to try and push it through. Now, this could backfire. It could backfire tremendously because of a couple of things. Number one. Many liberals in this country, many Democrats, are very upset about this. And if you do push this through, you run the risk of them, of even ones that were like, you know, middle of the ground, coming out and, and saying no. And you get, you could end up getting even more of a surge. I mean, there's been something like eighty million dollars donated since, uh, you know, Justice Ginsburg died to liberal, um, you know, PACs and whatnot. So you could run that risk. On the other hand, the Republicans could be looking at things and going, hey, listen, we got got a chance to make the Supreme Court decisively conservative for the next 30 years. Okay? We have to take that. We have to take that. So it's going to be very interesting to see what happens. Right now, you need, like I said, four to turn. Um, Apparently... We've gotten at least two that have said... I don't mean we've gotten aside I'm saying that there have been. So Senator Murkowski from Alaska, um, and um, apparently Senator Collins, though whoever really knows what she's going to do, okay, besides furrow her brow and look all unhappy about things. um, They've both said it, and I'll tell you, I would not be surprised at all if Senator Romney came out and said... Yeah, I'm not going to vote for someone either. So that's three. You need a fourth. If you get a fourth, then they will be unable to seat a justice. It won't matter. Because if you have four Republicans that say, I'm not going to vote to confirm a justice, then it doesn't matter. The president can, you know, nominate everyone he wants. So this is going to be very interesting because, you know, it, it, it's just... Especially Senator Collins is apparently losing her Senate race in Maine, so this might be a thing that she views as well. Maybe I could, you know, come out here and be seen as coming on the right side of history, you know, opposing hypocrisy, or maybe not. If she loses her election, remember the new senators are not seated until January, so again, uh, you know, December, President Trump could be like, all right. Elections are over now. I'm pointing a new person and I'm nominating a new person and we're going to vote on them. And, you know, if she's already lost, she could be like, well, what the heck? Let me go ahead anyway and vote to confirm this person, you know? Um, it'll be interesting. Now, the the further thing that's going on here is the Democrats' talk about expanding the Supreme Court, the number of justices. Now, first of all, the Democrats would have to win not only the presidency, but they'd have to win the Senate. They'd have to take the Senate. So this, this is a big deal. Now, as I've said before, it has been done in the past. But it's still a very big deal because the Supreme Court is kind of seen as, as Ms. Lujak used to uh, say, you know, my my old history teacher... You know, the Supreme Court is a sacred cow of American politics. Yeah, American politicians are you know, dirty and corrupt. And, you know, they'll sell their, their mother, you know, uh, for, for a shiny golden coin. You know, to quote, uh, what was his name from Red October, he says, I'm a politician, which means when I ain't kissing babies, I'm stealing candy from them. All right, But the Supreme Court is seen as above politics. They're not Republican or Democrat. They're individuals who have the highest obligation in the land because the Supreme Court decides what's legal and what's not. And they decide what, how the Constitution is interpreted. And the Supreme Court is extremely powerful. They have the ability to say, yeah, that law that you just passed, eh, not going to work, unconstitutional, okay? So people view the Supreme Court with this kind of like, they're supposed to be above everything, above the fray, above the pettiness, okay? And since they're lifetime appointments, once you get appointed to the Supreme Court, you don't have to worry about running again. It's not like you're a senator or a representative where it's like, all right, I've got to worry in two years about getting reelected. I need to raise money. I need to do this. I need to do that. You don't have to do anything. You're a Supreme Court justice. If you get appointed at age 40, the Supreme Court, you're on the Supreme Court until you decide you don't want to be anymore, some of them retire, you know, if they get too old or if they feel that they're too sick. Some of them stay on until they die. You know, it, 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 it's not a case. So, the idea, Roosevelt tried to pack the Supreme Court back in the 30s. Uh, he had a suggestion because the Supreme Court kept on uh, voting down all of his, all of his uh, New Deal policies. And he's getting increasingly frustrated. And so he suggested that what they should do is they should add a new justice for every justice who is over a certain age. And the American people basically came out and were really against that because they saw it as what it was. As He was basically trying to make it so that he had control over the Supreme Court. Now, would that be the same case today? I don't know that it would. I think a lot of liberals in this country right now, a lot of Democrats are viewing it as a case of, you know, if you pull this act off, especially right now. I mean, there's been talk of this for a long time. But I think they're viewing it right now as if Trump goes ahead and appoints and pushes through another Supreme Court member, they're going to be like, well, you know what? You want to play that game? No problem. We're going to play our own game, okay? We're going to play our own game, and we're going to expand the number. The number will probably jump up to 13, which would give Democrats... You know, let's say Biden wins again, like I said, and, and the, the Senate goes into Democratic hands. It would give Biden four new appointees, okay, which would basically make it a seven to six liberal majority on the court. Now, uh, mind you, that could, could come back to bite Democrats later on. If the Republicans take over again, there's simply more seats. So if, if things happen and, you know, the Republicans take back the White House and the Senate, they can end up voting to put more conservatives on the bench. Um, it's it's, it's going to be very interesting, I'll say that. I, re- I really think that we're in for one heck of a year. I mean, 2020, right? <laughs> it's, I posted something um, uh, about a, it was a month ago, maybe. It was the anniversary of the Krakatoa eruption. Um, which, if you don't know about it, go to my Instagram after school history. Um, so it was, uh, but it was the anniversary of the, the Krakatoa eruption, which was where basically an island in I uh, would it say, Indonesia, Krakatoa, the volcanic eruption. Um, it blew itself to pieces. It was the loudest noise ever recorded um, in human history. Uh, it was heard thousands and thousands of miles away. Um, the ash from the explosion colored the sky uh, as and and created a minor like um, a minor not ice age but for a couple of years temperatures were down. In fact, paintings of that time, like the Scream, you know the famous painting where the sky is in the background, you see the sky is like an orangeish color. It's believed that that was a direct result of Krakatoa. Um, incredible, but anyway, I said that (laughs) there was Anna Krakatoa, the daughter of Krakatoa, was growing where Krakatoa had been, and I was joking around, I said, well, you know, who knows what's gonna happen, it's 2020, and one of my students (laughs) wrote in the comment section, and he was like, please, Mr. Aschettino, don't tempt 2020 anymore, okay. And I got I got a tremendous chuckle out of that because yeah, it's like what what more could we have here you know but I'll tell you it's going to be a it's going to be a fascinating fascinating rundown to the elections and it's gonna be interesting to see how the Republicans do this. I mean, if Mitch McConnell feels that trying to seat another justice could end up costing the Republicans the Senate, he might not want to do it. He might say it's worth it more to keep the Senate. Certainly for him, it'd be worth it. More he's the Senate majority leader, he'd lose his position. But if he feels that they can keep the Senate and put this through, he'll definitely go for it. And maybe he'll go for it anyway, because he just feels, you know what, at the end of the day, it's, you know, the objective, the long game is to have judges. Once you have judges sympathetic to your ideology, that's it. In the United States, it's the judges are tremendously powerful, tremendously powerful people, and they can they can turn everything upside down. Topsy turvy. Um, you know. So it's uh it's gonna be really interesting to see what happens. Like I said, I I know, I keep repeating that, but it's just because I'm thinking in my mind all the time, I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, what's gonna go on? So Justice Ginsburg, deceased, many people were hoping she would hold on. Um, she was unable able to. Like I said, she fought cancer five times. Also, on a side note, I, I want to promote something. And again, um, I make no money off of this podcast at all. I don't. Um, and so that's why I feel it's it's good in a way because anything that you hear me talk about, I'm talking about it because I want to, not because I've got a sponsor. You know, I'm not out there talking about, uh, you know, RC Cola. That's what Mr. Aschettino likes to drink, you know, during uh, his podcast. No. I don't, um, I don't take any money from anyone, and uh, I don't know if I ever will. I mean, I, I, if if I ever did decide to get a sponsorship, which believe me is is, a, is probably a long time from now, I would insist and be like, yeah, I'm, oh, by the way, I can say whatever I want. That would be part of the deal. But there is a great book. Um, it's called The Emperor of All Maladies, by Siddharth Mukherjee, who's an oncologist, and it's basically all about cancer. And I, I read this book. I got it. It was, it was recommended by The Economist, the book section, which, again, if you don't get The Economist, get The Economist, okay? It's excellent reading. You'll learn so much every single issue that comes out. Uh, but they have a, books, a book section where they basically review books. And, and I, got, I, I always go there and I look at it and I'm like, all right. I'm like, this is interesting because I'm interested in cancer. I've had several people uh, in my life. Um die of cancer uh some old, some quite young uh you know this uh, uh, several people that I went to school with I played baseball with back in the day and went to high school or went to you know grade school with also died of cancer so i 'm always interested, and he explains cancer in a very very like you it 's not a book yes he 's a doctor, but when you read the book you 're not reading it like. It's written by a doctor. I mean, it's written by a doctor because he knows what he's talking about. No question. But it's very accessible. That's one of the things I've always strove... Strove? Strove? strove, Yeah, I think that's... I've always strove to do, um, as an historian, is to create accessible work. You know, it does you no good. I mean, I could write, uh, you know, a paper about something and, you know, it could be using all these fancy words and high flute and stuff... And then who the heck's going to read it? Yeah, okay, other other scholars will read it and they might be like, this is fantastic. But the whole point is that you want to bring, you want to bring knowledge to people, okay? You want to bring knowledge to people and when you get, and this is why I think people like Stephen Hawking, you know, was Stephen Hawking the greatest astrophysicist of all time? No, you know, probably not. There's a lot of people said, you know, he was just, he was great at PR. Um, You know, he wrote books. But the thing is when you read something by him, when you read something by Neil deGrasse Tyson, Death by Black Hole, by the way, oh, I can't get enough of it. When you read something by these people, you're reading it and you're like, wow, this this really, like, I get it. I mean, we're talking about things, you know, like cancer, we're talking about medical terms and medical issues that are so far beyond. I don't have any medical background, okay? I am an amateur astronomer. So with Neil deGrasse Tyson, I mean, at least... Death by Black Hole. I I got a lot of it because that you know I've I've done so much reading on it in the past, uh, you know astronomy and whatnot. But then, you know, but but the Emperor of All Maladies. It came out and it was just like wow, I'm getting this. And the <laughs> the bottom line is with cancer, it's just it's just such an insidious thing. It doesn't. It's just so tough to deal with because it's not something that you could be like oh we found a cure. There isn't a cure. There's treatment. And even in the future, it's, it's, you know, cancer is not about, it's not like it's like, oh, we found a cure for it, like, you know, a vaccine or this or that. For some types, maybe. But it just, it's so diverse. And it just plays off of our very selves, you know. It's just basically the rapid multiplication of cells within the body. And we don't know, I mean, in some cases, we know why people get cancer. You know, if you're a lifelong smoker, uh, you know, lifelong drinker, um, you know, if you're, if, if you eat certain foods uh, overall, you you could be, um, you know, it could be something that you get because of your genetics, you're predisposed to it. But at the end of the day, we also get a lot of people that just end up with cancer and it's like, dude, he didn't drink, he didn't smoke, he didn't do anything, he took care of himself, you know, he exercised, he was the right weight for his height and everything. He ate good food. And then he comes down with cancer. And it's like, why? What was the point? We don't really know. We don't. And we, we, you know, I would like to think we will. One day. You know, we keep going after this. But it's really, it's an excellent read. Again, The Emperor of All Maladies, Siddharth Mukherjee. Phenomenal book. Um, And it really puts it in perspective what Ginsburg was going through where she went through five different bouts of cancer uh, and, and, and while she's older. You know, not when she's, you know, in her 30s or 40s when, when she's still, you know, in a, in a good shape to, to fight it off. But, uh, yeah, so that's where we are right now. I'm, I'm, you know, it's going to be very interesting, obviously, over the next week um, before my next podcast, things might happen. Uh, I am going to try and put out the World War II podcast, so I want to try and finish that up. Um, and then we'll see what happens after that. So, in any case, um, I hope all of you, my wonderful listeners, are doing well. Um, I Again, I'm so thankful for all of you because I see when I look on the statistics from Anchor, um, which I highly, again, I'm not getting paid by them either, uh, but I recommend them if you're looking to do a podcast. They're excellent with it. Uh, and I see that I've got listeners from all over the world. It's really awesome. I love it, and, and I please keep on, you know, listening. And as I said, you can always, you know, tag me, write up, write to me, leave a voice message. But what you want to hear, something that I said that you know you agree with, disagree with, whatever the case is, you know. And follow my Instagram after school at Antonius Optimus, okay, on Instagram. Um, it's good stuff. Anyway, until we speak again. I wish only the best for all of you. Please stay safe. Okay? Please do the right thing uh, with regard to this horrible coronavirus. And uh, I will talk to you all next week. Bye-bye.